I'm going to say that again. While the kids are coming, I want to share my heart. I had my eyes closed in that song, uh, Oceans, as we were singing. And I heard some weird noise. And I opened my eyes. And I saw delight in the eyes and face of some of the kids as they were making noise and marching through. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So often... People want to relegate children to another room or to just sit quietly with their hands folded and stop making noise because you're distracting us. And I thought, thank you, Jesus, that we are training these children that church can be a place of fun and a place where they can express themselves. And though they don't fully understand, I'm sure that that playing a musical instrument or waving a flag is an act of worship. It is indeed an act of worship. And God, I see, I believe, receives it. And I'm just thrilled that we're giving these kids training in what it means to be followers of Christ. So, Well, boys and girls, I want to talk to you guys about something that happened to me when I was in third grade. How old are you, Audrey? Are you in second grade or third grade? You're in third grade. So it's about the same age as you. When I was in third grade, my dad was in the Navy and we lived in a in a small town outside of Washington, D.C., way over in the, in, the, in the state called Maryland. And I used to have to walk to school to get to, my, to, to the school. And it was, probably took me about maybe 20 or 30 minutes to walk from my house to the school. And every single day that I walked to school, I walked by one girl's house. And she was a girl that was in third grade too. Her name was Judy. Judy's last name was Scribner. Can you say that word with me? Scribner. Scribner. That was her last name. And Judy and I were friends. And I don't remember if we walked together from her house to the school or not. I can't remember that. But I do remember sometimes we would walk to her house after school. And then she would go into her house and I would continue on to my house. But... We were in the same classes. We saw each other at lunch. We saw each other in the recess time when we would go out into the playground. And I was a friend of Judy's. And there wasn't a lot of people that were friends of Judy. A lot of kids didn't like Judy. You know why? She had a birthmark on her face. Do you know what a birthmark is? What's a birthmark, Audrey? Um, it's, my mom says that it's, um, it's a kiss that's what some people say is that birthmark is a kiss that an angel gives you. Well, Judy had a birthmark that wasn't pretty. I, I've got a picture, not of Judy, but I have a picture of what I'm talking about. Can you bring that up? You can see it up here on the, on the screen up here. Shane, look up this way. You guys can see it up here. Adrian, Adrian, hello. Look up here. You can, you can see it. See on that, that little child's face, the, 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 the kind of pinky colored thing on their cheek. No, but that's what Judy's face looked like. That's not Judy. I did look online to see if my friend Judy is still uh, alive. And I found her on Facebook. And you know how I knew that it was her? She had that mark still on her face. It was right here on her cheek. And it was that color, purpley pink. And kids used to tease her all the time about having that ugly mark on her face. 
And she felt badly. She felt horrible. She felt like she was not good enough because she had that bad mark on her face. She didn't think about it being a kiss from an angel. She thought it was a curse and it was bad. And I was one of the only kids in school in our class that would play with her. I was one of the only kids that would walk home with her. I was one of the only kids who ever went over to her house and played. And the kids in school started calling me names. When I was on the playground, you know what they would say? They'd walk by and go, Scribner lover. Like that was a bad thing. They'd say, you're a Scribner lover. And I felt bad. I didn't want them to call me names. So you know what I did? I stopped being Judy's friend. I stopped walking with her to her house. I wouldn't go over to her house and play anymore. I wouldn't even talk to her when we were at school because I didn't want everyone to make fun of me and call me bad names. And now it's been 50 years almost, 40 years, more than more than 40 years. And to this day, I still feel badly. You know why? Because this is what I did that was wrong. Can you bring up the very first screen? Look at this screen. It says the golden rule. The golden rule is teach is Jesus is teaching. Jesus said, whatever, I mean, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do that to them. In other words, if you want somebody to be nice to you, you should be nice to them. If you want someone to play with you, you should play with them. If you want someone to, to not feel bad, then you should come and be their friend. That's what Jesus said. That's called the golden rule. It's, there's, there's, when I was a little boy, we learned it as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But to treat somebody nice, because that's how you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. There's another rule in the, in the scriptures. It's called the royal law. Can you bring that one up for me? It's on the screen. The royal law. It says, if you really want to fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. I should have treated Judy the way I wanted to be treated. I didn't want people calling me names, so I shouldn't call her names. I should be her friend. I should walk with her. I should go to her house. I should love her in the same way that I love myself. But I didn't. Because I was afraid of the way other people were treating me. And I didn't want to be called names. So I stopped being the target for them by stopping my friendship with Judy. And 40 plus years later, I still feel badly. There's no way I could ever go back and make it right. I even thought about it. When I looked her up this week on Facebook, I thought, you know, I could probably maybe contact her and tell her that I feel bad. I don't think she'd want to talk to me. Because she was so hurt by the way I treated her. Yes, sir. You did? Oh, wow. So there's another Judy on. Uh huh. Wow. So there's another Judy on the internet. Well, this is my friend Judy, but I learned that I need to. Uh huh. Ah. Uh, well. Ah, well, my Judy's not creepy. She's she's a good person. And so I want you guys to remember this. If you ever have somebody that you see that's being treated badly, you should be their friend. 
You should love them and try to be nice to them and be friends with them because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to love other people. He wants us to treat them the way we want to be treated. So I want to pray with you guys and then you're going to go back and be with Miss Jamie. So let's pray. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, Lord, at this young age to learn this valuable truth of the golden rule and the royal law that they don't have to four or five decades from now have regret over the way they treated a classmate or a neighborhood friend, but that they can truly say that they honored you by the way that they treated their neighbors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and be with Miss Jamie. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Today, in the Christian calendar, is Christ the King Day. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Nobody. Okay, I just told you. One of the things I learned this week, as I was looking up stuff about Christ the King Day, this is a relatively new thing in Christian churches. Um, it, it became Christ the King Day only 96 years ago. And in 2,000 years, that's, that's a relatively short period of time. And what the whole purpose of Christ the King Day is to recognize that in Christ's relationship with us, he is God in flesh, and some point he will become king. Where does that come from? Look in, look, pull out your Bibles, because we're going to be jumping around a lot this morning. Pull out your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, follows Ezekiel, and then it follows, then Daniel, I believe. My fingers are going to pass it because it's such a short book. There it is. Ezekiel, then Daniel. And it's Daniel chapter 4. And I said Daniel chapter 4, and that's not correct. It's Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, those of you who have your Bibles open, it's Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and following. And Daniel's sharing this vision. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Son of man, Christ, Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And scholars will tell you, Jewish scholars as well as Christian scholars, that this passage in Daniel is specifically referring to the Messiah. And those of us who name Christ as our Savior understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, this passage of Scripture in Daniel is talking about Jesus the Messiah. Now, if you turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you see a, a scene in heaven. And it talks about God being on the throne and all the worship that's going on around God. And then chapter 5 talks about this lamb that looks like it had been slain who was worthy to open a scroll. And it says, uh, verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw this lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. 
And the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you. Here this is worship that's taking place. So they are worshiping this lamb, which we understand through our theology to be Jesus, the son of God. And so Daniel chapter 7 talks about this Messiah being the king that's given a kingdom that all peoples and all nations and all creatures will bow down to. And that kingdom will last forever and forever and forever. And then we see in Revelation that kingdom taking place where he literally sits down on the right hand of the Ancient of Days on the heavenly throne. And we don't fully understand all of it because it's a mystery. But there is reality that we can understand and that is this. We, we human beings in our fallen state because of our willful transgressions against God needed someone to take our place to provide a cleansing, a propitiation of our sin. That was Jesus. And in the middle of the New Testament, this king, this Baby who comes to the earth in the, in the incarnation, which is what we're gonna, what we're gonna be celebrating in the next few weeks. The, the coming of God's own son in flesh becomes the king of all kings at the end of time. But during his time on this earth, we are told that something happened and I, I wanna, that's what we're gonna be focusing on this morning because the, this whole thing about kingship was a mess during the time that Jesus was on the earth. If you look at the things talking about Jesus being king in the Gospels, the main thing you're going to see is the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And you know what happened there. Pilate said, are you a king of the Jews? And Jesus said, who told you that? Well, don't give me, don't give me any garbage here, man. Your own people brought you to me and they said that they're, they're calling, you, calling you out because you're naming yourself as their king. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' words are, my kingdom is not of this world. So he doesn't deny that he's a king. But he says it's not of this world. And see, that's the thing that the Jewish people couldn't get. They couldn't understand because in the normal way of things, kings come and take over. Kings come and push aside their enemies. Kings come and kill their enemies. Kings come and take charge and take command. And Jesus wasn't doing any of that. He was messing things up. He was not doing what they thought was going to happen. Because Daniel said the Messiah is going to be a king. And everyone's going to bow down to him. And you're claiming to be the Messiah. So why aren't you doing what you were expecting you to do? But see, Jesus' whole means of responding to us falls down to one word. And I'm going to bring that word up in just a second. But before I do, I need you to look at a scripture. Go ahead and pull up that screen for me. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, um, go back. Do not bring that up. You do what I tell you to do. Thank you very much. All right. Um, if you look at verse... Uh, where is it? Here we go. Verse 7. The last part of verse 7. Being born in the likeness of men. Okay? Now, hold your Bibles open. Keep your fingers there. Reach into the pew racks. Pull out a hymnal. Okay? If you don't have a, if you don't have one near you, too bad. So sad. You lose. Okay? I want, if you will, I want you to turn to reading number 14. Okay? So each item, whether it's a hymn or a reading or a scripture passage, is numbered. And so they start at number one and they go into the 700. So look for number 14. This is the Nicene Creed. This is an ancient creed that was written around the 320 some year point in, uh, in, in, in the early, early days of Christianity. And this is one that, that I pray regularly and it is a statement of our faith as Christians. And if you look at that second paragraph, I believe, or in, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. Stop. Jesus, according to Christian theology, is one person in the Trinity, known as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus became a human being. Jesus literally, according to our theology, was fully God and fully man. He wasn't pretending to be a man. He wasn't a, a shell that wasn't really a human being. He was a real human being. He had the, it, it, it says in the, in the scriptures, it says that he had the same weaknesses, the same desires, the same struggles, the same stresses. He understands what it means to be a human being trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's what the incarnation is. That's what we celebrate during the Advent season and during Christmas. Is this idea that God came into the flesh, became one of us. Now, this passage of scripture, I love this passage of scripture. Because, go ahead and now bring the one up with the red, line, red things. In verse 7, it also says, just before it talks about him taking on the form of being human, it says he emptied himself. Okay, it says he didn't look, look at verse six, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, emptied himself. If you look at the Greek word that has been translated this, go ahead and bring the next slide up. It's actually the Greek word kinoo. Kinoo gives us this word, kenosis, which means a pouring out or an emptying. Okay? So Jesus, 
according to the gospel, I mean, according to Philippians, tells us that this incarnate God, this God man, this fully God and fully man person did some kind of a transaction to become a person by emptying himself. What took place? What was that? Now, you've got your hymnals open, so go to the next slide. Turn to hymn 222, 225. This is one of my favoriteest, favoriteest, favoriteest of the Wesley hymns. Hymn 225. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Listen to this next phrase. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, holy immense. And we, you can sing the rest of it tomorrow. But right now, I want to think about this second verse. He emptied himself of all but love. That's what I've heard forever. But if you look at what Jesus did, in my mind, when I hear the word emptied myself, or emptied himself, I see this full vessel and I see him opening the vessel and I see him pouring out onto the ground or into some other repository, something. Because if you go, we're not going to go there, but if you go into John chapter 17, at the end of Jesus's ministry, he says, Father, bring the glory back. Because if you remember the story of Moses, when Moses would go into the temple or to the tabernacle and he would meet face to face with God, he would come out and he would have to put a veil over his face. Why? Because the glory of the God, the Shekinah glory of God, literally made him glow like he was nuclearized or whatever. And in my mindset, what I'm seeing is if Jesus had come down with the full glory of God, he would have glowed like Moses did. And nobody would have denied him being the Messiah. If you had this nuclear glowing guy walking around, you'd all be going, oh, there would be nothing. Because see, the Bible tells us in the Gospels, there was nothing about Jesus that would make us think anything about him other than he was just a normal everyday guy. There was nothing attractive about him. There was nothing that would draw us to him. He was just a regular Joe. So what is this emptying? Because in my mind, he can't just empty himself of his glory Because wouldn't that mean that he's less than God? Right? 
Let me show you why I know that that's true. Next scripture. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Paul said, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So the scriptures themselves say that the fullness of God was in the full human being. So what did Jesus empty himself of? He wasn't stopping being God. Because if you go through the Gospels, you can see where it says that he knew people's thoughts. He knew what was going on. Now, there were some things he did say. I don't have access to that information. Only the Father does. And we don't understand how that's possible. Because if he's God, why wouldn't he? But if he is God, but I, I don't know. It's not given to me to know. But what I do know is that the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is one of the three persons of the, of the triune Godhead. That Jesus was fully human and was fully man. And that to become the Messiah for us, he had to empty himself. He had to kino-o himself. Kino-o means per first person, I am emptying. Kino-o. He had to go through the process of kenosis. But what? Was that? Because he wasn't divesting himself of any of his godhood. What was going on? Go to the next passage. And it's not the next passage. We're going back to... No, go ahead and... I said, it's, no? After that, there should be one. Okay, go back up to the second, Corinthians, second Philippians. I mean, Philippians chapter 2. Is there not one that's read... Other than that one? Okay. Well, obviously the slides and I aren't friends this morning, but that's okay. Okay. Um, if you go down to the, if you look at the screen or look at your, your passage in your Bible, you see where it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Bring it back up. I was reading it. <laughs> he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Excuse me. What I hear this saying is Jesus intentionally said, I'm willing. I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to make the transaction work so that human beings can be reunited with us. So that sins can be cleansed once and for all. So that we can get back to what was originally designed in the, in the garden. And it can happen that the kingdom is established. All the word of God is done. That's what Jesus, in my mind, emptied himself of. It wasn't an emptying of his essential being. It was an emptying of any desire to own what was his, what was rightfully his. Because if God were to walk into this room right now in bodily form, it would be our responsibility, our obligation to fall on our faces before him and worship him. Jesus did not demand that. If, if Jesus had done that, it would have really messed up the whole plan. But Jesus was willing to forego worship. Jesus was willing to be humbled to the point where he had to have somebody wipe his butt when he was just a six-month-old baby. 
Can you imagine? You're the second person of the triune Godhead. And you got to deal with that stink? And you got to deal with possibly vomiting because maybe he was sick when he was a little boy? And you got to deal with people spitting at you because they don't like you or calling you vile names or Roman soldiers pushing you and jostling you and treating you with disdain because you were a Jewish dog? There had to be in his mind, oh, if you knew who you're dealing with, son. But it says in the scriptures that he experienced life exactly the way we did, but he did it without sinning. And that's what this idea of kenosis is, is Jesus willingly gave up what was rightfully his. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to whom? To the Father. Even to the point of death. Think about the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The second person of the triune Godhead pleading with the Father, if there's any other way, <laughs> really, I know we agreed to this, but in my humanity, there's something I've never experienced before, and that's the desire to live. I don't want to die. I don't want to go through that pain. Ooh. And it literally says he was so overwhelmed physically that he began to have blood vessels in his forehead burst and it poured out as if he was sweating blood. Can you imagine the stress, that physical stress that Jesus was experiencing in the garden as he prayed? And he did it willingly. Because at any point he said, he could have said, you know what? It ain't worth it. And he could have just gone back to heaven and said, let them live however they want to live and we'll start again some other place. But Jesus said, no, they are worth it. The plan is right. And I willingly give up everything that I'm due in order to make this happen. Even being obedient to dying on a cross. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. And then the cool thing, or the interesting thing, which unfortunately there's not a slide for it, so I'll just have to show it to you in Mark, excuse me, in Matthew. No, it's not in Matthew. Oh, it was in Mark, I think, but I don't have my... Okay, somebody's going to have to look it up for me because I don't have my iPad with me. Um, it's the, the passage where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Somebody? I don't have it memorized off the top of my head. And it's supposed to be a slide. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? The passage that I'm talking about? Oh. Matthew 16, thank you. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any of you would come after me and let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and forfeits his soul. Let's read that one more time. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, if any one of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Let me just show, tell you just a real quick little story about my own, out of my own personal life. And then we'll close. I knew from the time I was 16 or 17 years of age that God had called me into full-time Christian ministry. I didn't have the words to articulate that, but I, I knew that God had called me to full-time ministry. It wasn't until I was like 19 or 20 that I was able to finally, I had a mentor who was able to help me understand this call to ministry. But I carried that calling, that burden on my life from the time I was a teenager, literally almost minutes after getting saved, I felt this calling. And then God, in God's wisdom, had me stay on active duty in the Air Force for 21 years. So I lived with this calling for 21 years, never being able to do anything about it. And I was at the tail end of my Air Force career, living in San Angelo, Texas. We owned a home for the very first time in our lives. We, we had lived there for five years. We, we, our kids were settled in school. We had a great church we were part of. I enjoyed my life. Renee enjoyed her life. It was just a great time. And then God said, I want you to go to Bible college. I don't want to go to Bible college, God. I just want to be a pastor. I have served you for 21 years and you owe this to me. I've already been faithful and obedient to you. And God said, mm, Bible college, Bob. And God and I wrestled with this for over an hour during lunch one day. And finally I said, okay. And then we discussed it. And then we came to terms with going to Bible college. And then after we had already submitted the paperwork for my, my retirement so that I was approved for retirement, after I had already been admitted to the school, after we had already started selling off stuff, we found out that, oh, lo and behold, this is the first semester that we're going to ever offer online education. What? You mean I could go to school online? I won't have to move from here? But it was too late. We were already in the process of selling our home. We were already, I mean, everything. Then... To add insult to injury. As if God stood over me. Being flayed with a whip. God took a box of Morton salt. And poured it all over my open wounds. My mother-in-law and father-in-law. Retired after their final assignment. And moved two and a half blocks. From where we had been living in Texas. All of our adult lives. We were in the military and could not be near family. Finally, finally, we have the opportunity, but no, we got to follow what God wants us to do. Stinking calling. Do you understand how hard that is? This is what I want. This is what I know I'm supposed to do. And my father-in-law, the one that I wanted to be near, who was my mentor, who helped me to discern my call, would say to me, even in that moment, 
It is better to be in the center of God's will than to have your own will. You have to do what you know God wants you to do. No, it's, no, it's not fair. I, I have been faithful, God. I have done everything you've asked of me. Everything. Why this? The desire of my heart, and it's that close. I mean, do you understand? I was a Navy brat. I turned in my Navy dependent ID card as I got my active duty Air Force ID card. My entire life, I never had the notches on the door frame. I can remember in my senior year of high school in the spring as all of my friends and I are getting ready for graduation and then say, do you remember back in second grade when we were at Mrs. Johnson's class? And I'm like, yeah, I was in Rhode Island in second grade. I longed for the roots and stability of being with and near family. And finally, finally, I can't do it. And guess what? We never got to do it. Because stinking, graduated five years later, do I get to go back to be a pastor in Texas? No. God has to call me to Alaska. following a call. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm not dissatisfied. I am perfectly content. I am in the very center of God's will. I know that I know that I know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I find incredible, incredible contentment. I, I actually said when I first got here after a few months, I said to a friend of mine, I now finally understand why God created me and put me on this earth. That's how fulfilling this role is for me. But it came at great sacrifice. And that's what kenosis is. Being willing to give up your deepest longing to fulfill what God wants. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, if you want to come after me, You need to deny yourself, not just take up the cross. You need to deny yourself, then take up the cross and follow. Every single one of you, every single one of you is going to be faced with that type of a a situation. Maybe not to the same degree as as we faced, having to move halfway around the globe, literally. But every single one of you are going to be faced with, am I willing to empty myself, to deny myself, and to take up whatever cross God is offering to me so that I can walk the path God has for me? And so I would encourage you, first of all, say, God, am I doing what you want? (laughs) And then carefully listen for the answer. And then I would check your heart and make sure that you really are doing it out of the right motive, the desire to bring honor and glory to God, the desire to see the kingdom of God advanced, even if it means I don't get what I want, because I know being in the center of God's will is the best place to be. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. And I thank you and praise you for the relationship that I have with you. And I thank you and praise you that you found it good to empty yourself so that you and I could have relationship. God, I ask that you would continue with me as I go this path before you. Help me, God, to continue to release my own personal stuff and to always hold on to what you've asked of me to do. Help me to honor you in every way that I can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.